Welcome back to the Twisted Builds podcast. This is actually future Dale from this recording. I made this recording and I completely screwed up. So my personal audio is all messed up on this recording. So I do apologize about that. Anyone listening? I did the best I could in post. But I'll have to say, this is really an awesome episode. I had Sean Bubeck from Innova Speed on, and this is a long podcast, but it was an awesome talk with him. So uh, I hope you stay tuned in and uh, enjoy the podcast. As I said, I apologize about my audio quality. So thanks again, and on to the podcast. Welcome back to Twisted Builds Podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Scene. Um, I believe your last name is uh, Brubeck. Is that no, right? It's actually Sean. It's the Irish spelling, Sh- so it throws people off. And then the last name is pronounced Bubeck. I apologize about that. So Sean Brubeck. Uh, he is the owner and fabricator of Innova Speed. So it's nice to have you on today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, uh, we, uh, met, uh, over Facebook, um, and you commented about, uh, what my S10 build. So, and that's how I found you and found your business and found all the awesome stuff you're doing. I, uh, went to your uh, website and, uh, watched the, the gen nine video that you had on there. So about your F-150 and that, that's an awesome build. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Uh, wow. I can't believe you watched that video. And actually, I'm kind of amazed as many people have. In its entirety, that. actually, that I was hooked. I tell you, there's yeah. a lot. I've got a lot of questions for you too. So anyway, go on. Oh my gosh. Um, well, you can thank Terry Lysak for that. Uh, he is the star behind that show, and and really the reason that Innova Speed kind of became a business, among other factors. Um, that okay. truck specifically is why I created the Innova Speed name. Um, I actually come from a corporate sales background, uh, like inside sales okay. with Fortune 100, sometimes Fortune 500, and, and other companies. So I was building the truck uh, back when I created Innova Speed in September of 2019. Um, I created that just as a, a name for Instagram and then figured okay. out by the website too, you never know what can happen, right? I'll just own the brand. Um, exactly. So I started posting, not even originally under that, but that I, I bought the name and then I put it on my Instagram and I just kind of rolled with it. And, uh, ironically, it took me like four months to pick a freaking name. All my friends were probably tired of getting texts from you. Ooh, what about this idea? And, uh, I ended up, I, because I worked in sales, I always knew to work closely with the marketing people and mm-hmm. they always reminded me that single name names market at a much higher rate and so i was so determined i had to have one name but i also didn't want to pigeonhole myself into any particular kind of thing other than some form of motorsports because i like everything and so that was kind of how that was born and then i just kept building the truck under it and i became known under that name somewhat i don't want to sound too big-headed i'm still a very small fish in a very large sea but um i just kept posting about the truck and this dang F-150 was supposed to be sold. It was inherited, and I wasn't okay. supposed to keep it. Everybody thinks I'm some big like Ford lover, and it was actually a very happy accident that I decided to make this one of my money pits. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So can you tell us more about the truck? Yeah. So it started off as just a rock stock 95 F-150, 
And okay. it was kind of neat. Um, it was as close to a first gen lightning as you could get. And they've got a really cult following now. Um, so like it had the same seats from the factory, just kind of missed the badging. And then mm -hmm. I think there's like a, I don't know, 30 horsepower difference between the XLT that I had and a lightning. And that's just cause some basic engine parts. There's like 10 parts total difference between the two. Um, okay. I had a really cool foundation to start with a single cab short bed. Like if you're going to do a sport truck, something for handling, they're kind of the go-to across the board. It doesn't matter. Ford, Chevy, Dodge, whatever. I had a really good base. And okay. in Arizona, like, we don't really have rust problems. So I had super minimal surface rust. And these trucks were notorious for massive rust problems. Oh, um, trust me. I'm from the Lake Erie Snow Belt Rust Belt area. So trust me, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Having so a clean platform to build off of is amazing. <laughs> right? So I got lucky. And then the funny thing, too, is the truck only had, I think, 97,000 miles when it came into my possession. Okay. And it had never been over 60 miles an hour. Like it was owned by an old man. <laughs> okay. Didn't enjoy driving. Like that's kind of the ironic thing to me personally is that Don, who bought the truck brand new in 1995 for cash and then drove it mm -hmm. all until he died and I came into possession, like he didn't like to drive fast. He didn't do anything cool with the truck or anything. It was literally how he got around. That's it. Yep. And so. From there, the original plan was sport truck, like kind of a hardcore street truck. I wanted it to be pretty, pretty rowdy, but drivable. Um, yep. It was an automatic originally, like most of these trucks were, but I found out to do a manual swap, especially if you have the whole drivetrain out, it's actually pretty easy. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put a yes. manual in it, do a little bit of engine work, right? It had the 351 or 5.8. We can stroke yes. it out a little bit, make it a little rowdy. We'll, we'll put a better EFI system in it. But the big thing was the twin beam suspension that's under those trucks. Um, uh -huh. I, hate, I know there's like off-road guys. In fact, one of my friends that's here um, at the shop hanging out, he uh, he's a big fan of those because he comes from a pre-runner off-road background. Um, I was like, dude, I got to put double A arms under this truck. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And I was originally yep. going to do the classic Crown Vic swap. But then my snooty ass was like, nah. I got to find a better way. Like there's too many drawbacks. Cause I, I come from a suspension background in uh, road course and autocross. So I was already kind okay. of a suspension snob as it was. So that wasn't good enough. And so then I just started working on stuff. And the problem is I had to redo the suspension so many times that in my frustration between redoing it, I kept snowballing the plan. So, and you know, this like, Oh, have, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. If you have too much time to do a build, like that shit gets out of control real quick very fast yes no you're, you're sounding like my life story but anyway continue <laughs> yeah so there's too many paychecks between the start and finish and so you keep adding uh -huh. paychecks into the budget so yep yeah it was it just got stupid and like i was originally going to do the classic thing uh that the the f100 guys were doing along with crown big swaps and i was like oh dude i want a truck with irs like that would be so badass because I just wanted to use it as for fun. It was a toy. Like mm -hmm. we already had a pickup truck. I was going to get another BMW and have my sports car. I had shit at the time I started this. I think I had four motorcycles. Uh, okay. So I was getting my fix of fun, but I'm like, ah, screw it. You know what? And then we'll autocross it some. So I got this Lincoln Mark eight set up for a steal out of a junkyard. Super clean. Of course, being in Arizona. Um, yep. So I was doing like all the traditional shit and it just kept getting out of control. And then S550 IRS swaps came onto my radar. So yep. 
one of those and it was like literally a one week decision i'm like i'm going s550 swap bought one on ebay mm-hmm. shows up on friday and by sunday night when i went to bed f- to sleep for work the next day that shit was hanging on its own with tack welds in the frame like i for that's some reason awesome like, i did fast so that's awesome but yeah i kept going the engine build like we kept snowballing that and so it ended up taking nine or ten months um and was six thousand dollars over budget for the original okay. goal that i had in mind um so it, it just kept going and then now what we're presented with today is a truck that is about six or seven hundred pounds lighter than stock it rolls okay. on a scratch made front suspension that's actually in the middle of becoming a kit i'm literally looking at a piece of it in my car i saw that i yeah. saw that on your website that you were looking at bringing that to market yeah along with a lot of other parts for these that i noticed when building it didn't exist and and like shameless plug i've i started my youtube channel back in september by posting the footage i took three years ago when building this truck i filmed like almost all of it because i was determined i was going to be on youtube i have a few pretty famous youtube friends uh okay like million plus channels i i won't plug that all because i don't want to get derailed but the point is i'm friends yep. with some of them and so i've been watching their success since they had no subscribers and i've always said i want to do it, i want to do it, i want to do it so three years ago i said what a great way to start a channel let's build a truck nobody's building for autocross and then <laughs> yep i took all the footage and put it in a, a external hard drive and i didn't use it until i was like screw it like sooner or later you got to do something with it or just give that dream up and i can't give it up so anyway I kept doing all that and filming it, and now I've got a truck that's, you know, got a crazy awesome. IRS pop, custom built suspension, yeah. kit, full arrow, like wing splitter, diffuser, um, just all kinds of stuff. And then the best of the best Holly and Race Pack um, electronics, and and yeah, it got it got nuts. And I pushed, I tried to push the boundaries of some stuff just to push myself. Um, mm-hmm. The whole idea behind it, it was for fun. It was. Let me be very clear. I built that truck for me not as a business had i known i was going to go into business later i would have done a lot of things very differently to plan ahead and not make backtracking and relearning this design over again so it can be replicated over and over yeah yep no i know what you're talking about exactly i literally like everything you're talking about is pretty much my life story of my s10 build currently because when I first started that deal, that was going to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to probably, I'll, I'll 80 swap the rear. I wasn't, I'm not like full on going independent rear suspension, but I was like, you know what? I'll keep the live, keep a live axle, go 80 swap and, you know, just put an LS in it, you know, make it a fun go getter. And then it's just completely and utterly snowballed from there. So, yeah. and I understand the whole, that whole aspect of it. Um, I wanted to ask you on your your truck though. So you went 550 independent rear suspension or IRS. Did you make custom control arms or anything, or did you literally just drop that underneath the frame? No, yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, so the cool thing about it, especially with the width of the rear of the frame of the F series trucks, is it it's actually fits really well in between there. Now, okay. Obviously, it's a subframe and it bolts into a unibody car. So what we yep. do with the trucks, or at least what I recommend to people, there's some of them that think they're being cool, and that's fine. It's their build. But I like to graft them or weld them into the frame rail so it becomes part of it. Um, yes. 
Some guys want to make it bolt-in-like stock. I don't see the reason because it actually allowed me to remove some stock cross members and get them out of the way mm -hmm. on my frame, but I end up with more rigidity. And the cool thing yeah, too, because you're using that subframe as another like another frame cross member kind of you're adding stiffness to it. Exactly, and a lot actually. And then all I did was yeah. add gusting plates. Some of these F100 guys are adding like quarter inch wall tube across the top, and I'm shaking my head, going, "What are you doing? You yeah. are going to drop in a 400 horsepower coyote? I don't care if you make 1500 wheel and you drag race it. You don't need that." But no, regardless, so. I thought very critically about it, so I started there. I wanted to use the stock control arms because it turns out the width of them uh, with a little bit of wheel spacer, uh, like okay. 20 millimeters on each side, so it's super minimal. That yeah. a uh, off-the-shelf aftermarket 18 by 10 uh, wheel for an S550 Mustang fits flawlessly Oof. with me just rolling my fenders. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So and that's that's what I was like. I was I wasn't curious like how you if you a you you're running spacers and b how you set that up and I wasn't sure if like uh you were modifying the geometry from that Mustang to your F you know F one fifty or what was going on there. Yeah. Um and, and I get asked about modifying the geometry a lot because I do tell people it's a heavily modified system. Mm -hmm. I maintained the stock pickup points. So if we want to talk about geometry okay. from a pickup point standpoint, that all remains. And the reason for that is like, unlike the Terminator Cobra systems, which very closely resemble the Mark eight systems. Like I was going to start with, they're a very mm -hmm. traditional pickup point layout. So you can make custom arms for it. And it's not a nightmare. The problem yeah. with five fifty, and this gets kind of nerdy. So not everybody will understand this. I'll try and make it simple, but, um, basically all of the pickup points are off plane. So everything okay. is multi-axial and the entire system moves three dimensionally every bit of movement throughout. So to remake and change those arms is a complete nightmare. Cause I get asked by guys, they're like, you know, would you make custom arms for it as a kit? Right? Like that question comes up now that I'm a business and I do 3d yep. stuff and I like making suspension parts and I, can't say fast enough that no, hell no, I would never <laughs> want to replicate those arms because just creating the fixture for it to do one set of them would suck, let alone holding that tolerance for all of them. Um, yeah, it's it's very tricky. So it's it's one of those setups that if you can't find a way to live with it off the shelf, so to speak, um, yep, it may not be the way to go. And because of those factors and and knowing what i know now about suspension even more mm -hmm. i actually probably just would have bought it as a pile of parts used a okay. different hub and made my own more traditional style layout more i guess closely resembling um a corvette like a c5 6 or 7 layout but with the ford Camaro. okay gotcha okay now I was like I was curious like because of like rear roll center and everything like that if that if you were able to land that where you wanted it for functionality in that truck or not Somewhat. that was why I was asking about the pickup points. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and even just figuring out to measure it, I, I found to be really tricky. And I had the fortune, and I, I can't share it because, and I can't even say who I got the info from because I've been forbidden. Okay. But I had the pleasure of uh, one of the factory ford racing engineers 
as well as one of the development drivers for the S550 platform in racing. Uh, the driver actually drove my truck at an event. Okay. And the engineer was there with him, and they actually gave me some very direct feedback about helping with setup. And fortunately, I seemed to have the suspension in approximately the right place. I've got it working pretty good now, but I also have all aftermarket adjustable arms, and that's been okay. a big grace. Gotcha. All right. It's still, yeah, it's, I was just... it's hard to tune. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like I think a lot of people don't understand. I, I'm sure you've seen this with your business where you're like, we'll take the uh, Crown Vic frame swaps or you know the react, you know the independent rear suspension swaps, which again I am not as versed in because I haven't looked into it that deeply. But like taking those kinds of suspensions and tossing them frame grafting or whatever, like taking a Crown Vic front end and grafting it onto a truck frame or whatever. And not realizing that the roll center, the instant center for the rear or whatever, uh, you know, the pitch center, all that stuff is based on the car that you're originally taking it out of. So putting it into a different platform, all those geometry, you know, those those points are going to be all screwed up. You're not going to have your roll centers and stuff where you want them. Does that oh, make yeah. sense? Oh, no, it does. Okay. And actually, I want to speak to that. And, I, and I'll actually use the Crown Vic swaps as a perfect example because they're just so incredibly popular now. And yes. I'll preface this by saying this because I get some flack for being resistant to it. But it, you have to remember it's because I spend all my time working as a business to make optimized geometry for these chassis. So when I have some idiot argue with me that he has a thousand bucks on his Crown Vic swap and it's so fucking superior, pardon my friend. <laughs> Very and they're like well ford has millions of dollars of engineering yes for a road car yes. that has to exactly. survive a half million miles of abuse okay yes with production compromises so when we hit the aftermarket and we're going to specifically focus our time effort and money on mm -hmm. making it work in this application i'm allowed to nitpick because that's why yep. we're here. so i'll preface it by saying that now that brings up an interesting point so a lot of the guys, we'll use the F100 guys because they're the most notorious, notorious for the, the Crown Vic swaps. You know, Chevy and, mm -hmm. and, and Ford guys like to use components from their own manufacturers. There's no sense in the loyalty, but whatever, to each their own. Yeah. It, it is what it is. And, and a lot of it's because the F100s had the beams, whereas you can bolt mm -hmm. on a set of aftermarket tubular arms with all the GM stuff. And it is kind of a cheat code. The GM guys have it good. Um, yeah. That being said, I've actually been doing some mapping of kind of the issues with the crown Vic and I, and I'm going to make a video specifically on this to my YouTube channel that coincides with the official release of my suspension kits just to kind okay. of squash the geometry debate on that. I mean, I say once and for all, we all know some idiots going to be in the comments going, no, here's all Obviously. the reasons. You're wrong. I have an education in Facebook groups. <laughs> yes. So, um, he so basically the the roll center on those is atrocious and and that's the biggest number one issue especially when you're putting it in a truck from a car is now you okay. have a higher center of gravity and your roll center is even more screwed up and then you're going to use it in a lowered scenario because most of those guys are going to put coilovers on it which you should do the stock yep. spring and shocks and everything are they're crap they're designed to be big and floaty on its land yacht that it came in that's fine yep um, we've had those in the family they're great for road tripping with six people elbow to elbow but not when you're doing a sport truck, even if you're just going to daily drive it, you, you want more than that. So we're mm -hmm. going to use it in a lowered format, right? Well, now you're making it worse. 
And the reason for it, the biggest reason for it that I'll call out and, and go look up pictures of this. Like anybody who's in this podcast, go look up yep. freaking pictures of uh, 03 to what is it? 2011. I think they stopped the Panther. Platform. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, go look at where the, the lower ball joint attaches to the spindle. Specifically yep. what you're looking at compared to a normal one is the ball joint. I'll say it's inverted. In other words, mm-hmm. the actual axis of pivot is above the bottom of the spindle. And yes, so and the doing, control arm on the inside is pointed down towards the ground. Yes, and the worse you make it, the deeper you bring that roll center. And so now, yep. if you think of your physics class in high school, I think you and I talked about this a little bit. If you think of your physics class in high school, a lever is a mechanical advantage. But in this case, mm-hmm. where you're using your leverage, your extended leverage of a, a, a roll center down at the ground or below ground level, uh, yeah. not a rule when people start lowering things inadvertently. But your center of gravity still hasn't changed with your truck, right? Because that's where yep. we're putting these. Now you have a greater yes. mechanical advantage in the worst possible way. You have this huge pendulum that's swinging mm-hmm. your center of gravity and making your truck body roll over the place. And people put these, you know, 1,500 pound of resistance sway bars on there hoping that's the fix but look you you could have and you're making a fixed suspension at that point it's you're like you're completely negating the the fact of having like a short arm longer arm double wishbone style front suspension i mean it's yeah you absolutely pointless spring rates and all and it's just man it gets out of control and so there's people that'll debate me on it and that's fine but i mean i'm gonna let my own successes speak for itself and what i've done on just a 275 tire in my 3600 pound truck these guys and c10s that are carbon fiber hoods and stuff you know 3400 pounds with a more powerful ls and 315s and i'm beating them yep so yeah like the conversation you and i were having and that's when we met on facebook at least was i was trying to figure out i went through um i first went through because i don't have like i am a automotive technician by trade so I'm a senior master technician with Ford Motor Company. So I've been do- turning wrenches professionally for uh, roughly 15 years now. And so I don't come from like an engineering background or anything. I'm kind of learning it as I go. So yeah. I, it was one of those things where I started digging into like the chassis engineering by Herb, or I think it's Herb Adams. And then that wasn't really enough. So I started digging into the race car dynamics by Milken & Milken, which is to me at least seems like a goldmine of a book. And yeah. I was going through setup because I'm custom building my whole front suspension on this thing. A lot of people are like, oh, you could just get tubular control arms because uh, the S10 platform is based off the G-body. Yeah. And there's all kinds of tubular control arms and everything for a G-body, so you could do that. Well, if you look at the freaking way GM made the suspension, uh, there's so much caster change. The roll <laughs> center's all screwed up. It, yeah. The pickup points just the way the whole suspension works in 3d space is absolutely garbage. And I literally just cut the, literally cut every, every component that hooked the front suspension to that frame, cut it all out, boxed it all in. And I'm starting fresh. I'm still working through the design currently, but a lot of those books were like, you know, have your roll center three to four inches high off the ground. And the thing that bugged me about that was the same thing of what you were just talking about of, uh, roll moment or how long that lever is over your center of gravity versus where your roll center is at and how much body roll you're going to induce from having a low roll center versus your center of gravity height. 
And that's where you and I met, and that's where like everything you're speaking about right now just like deemed you know deemed and made sense because of the fact of you're not trying to induce body roll by having such a low roll center. So if you're custom making your own suspension components, why wouldn't you put it in a more satisfy or satisfactory area for a better performing truck so you don't have to have so much sway bar to keep the body roll down? Am I right. correct in that thinking or? No, you're absolutely right. But even sway bar aside, like think about, you know, we're all going to coilovers, right? That's typically where this discussion yeah. is coming up with people that are on coilovers. And so then spring yes. rate always comes up as an immediate topic, as it should. And mm-hmm. the the problem gets to be, and there's other factors that play into this, that, and, and the S10 yes. is an exemplary one I'll talk about more here in a second with my experience with it. But just speaking to this, you know, you can only put so much sway bar and then these people are still trying to dial all these issues out with spring rate. And then you end up at these thousand pound per inch spring rates. And then now yep. your coilover, your, your, the shock itself that makes up the coilover was never designed for these crazy spring rates. Right. And, and 99.9% Correct. of the time are not having stuff valve for their spring rates. And that's fine. I get yep. it. Cost money, effort. You have to give them some data that the average Joe in his garage or backyard, like I started off, don't have. That's okay. But the point is, mm-hmm. not valve for these crazy spring rates, and then they complain about how harsh it rides, and then comes up the inevitable discussion through this snowball of, well, coilovers ride like crap. No. Your coilovers, no. how you set them up without knowledge, ride like crap. Mm-hmm. Well, they ride well, in like 100 pounds per inch spring rates. Always mm-hmm. remark, Wow. I expected this to ride much worse. I didn't hear. What was your spring rate again? 900 pounds per inch. Okay. But, but you were probably your, your effective rate for being a, a fully custom front suspension. I'm also assuming it's pretty good too. It is. Yeah. So my, my motion ratio is what it's called in layman. That's terms. what I was talking about. Yeah. For people listening. And so we'll jump in then to the S10. Cause this is the biggest single issue with uh-huh. all s10s that you bolt arms yep. on like it's okay i don't have any problem with bolt on arms it's how people yep. look at it and the confusion around them so that with the s10 now you're you're getting away from this issue by modifying it like you have and i'm kind of envious because my buddy tj tomlin and i have talked about yes. doing this to his truck but we just don't want to snowball this bad because he has to pay yeah i snowballed hard <laughs> anyway <laughs> go on hey i appreciate it but uh you know and and that's why i'm here for it you know like i'll, I'll spitball ideas back and forth like we all had to start somewhere and learn somehow and uh-huh. so with this the stock spring pockets that's in there you can't move the coilover it has to no. fit this stupid hole or you have to cut all that off and modify the frame but you're making it much weaker without significant effort so for most people it just doesn't make sense the problem is mm-hmm. talking about the motion ratio when you move the bottom of the shock closer to the frame further away from the wheel you get back into that physics discussion about levers again. And so now your wheel yes, has you do. advantage over your spring rate. And to overcome that, you start upping your spring rate. It's not unusual for the S10 guys yeah. like Kevin uh, with his little blue S10, everybody knows. I think he's I think he's either at 1,000 or 1,100 pound per inch hyper yeah. spring in front of that little truck. And mind you, his yep. truck is 3,200 pounds. It's, it's very light, but he has to yeah. do it. But – yeah, because the motion ratio on these factory S10 suspensions absolutely sucks. <laughs> it does, but it's also it's still prevalent with the aftermarket arms because it's it's a solution that they can't solve with a bolt-on arm, and that's something yep. else people really got to think about is 
a bolt-on tubular arm is still using the stock pickup points. If, if you're not changing the spindle, yes. I guess things do, and that's fine. It solves some problems, not all. Yep. That, sh- that coilover pickup point can't move. There's no room for it without extensive frame modifications. And you exactly. can't, business, design, market, and then sell a product that that changes that without a lot of effort. And people just aren't going to do it. They're not. Mm-hmm. And that's something I battle because I want people to do more to better it. work. But you can't. You have to be realistic about a business. And so yep. you have to be realistic about these tubular arms. And this is this is every single vehicle people are modifying. I don't care what it is. If you don't exactly. move the pickup points from stock, you haven't done anything other than bolt on a shiny aftermarket part. Now it yeah. has good. It might be stiffer. Yeah. It might than the stamp steel piece, but it's still going yeah. to functionally uh, react the same way to you know sus- suspension inputs or you know force inputs because you haven't changed the pickup points on anything. Right, and and, and I think what kind of confuses people, and this is me speaking from when I was a noob and all this, and I didn't know, is you know you see all these crazy shapes of arms. They have these crazy arcs, either up or down, mm-hmm. and these brackets. And so the arm isn't just a straight arm from point A to point D, point B, like from the frame to the wheel, for example. Yep. And so if you look at it and you're like, oh, that has to do something. It doesn't actually. They just usually no. do those shapes to clear the stock frames. But it's suspension geometry is measured in perfectly straight lines without exactly. Yep. And so, you know, people, I, I think that unfortunately there's just not been enough information shared and this is something I've heavily debated. Like, do I, I don't know how to do it, but like, do I kind of take a page out of the Jason Finsky um, engineering explain channel book playbook? And mm-hmm. do I do a series of episodes about that on YouTube to try and leverage yes. the largest platform? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, know, you should. The, the world's largest platform to try and help better, get rid of the myths and in this whole, you know, throwing out random ideas from random people in Facebook groups. Like I love Facebook groups. I'm a total social media yep. whore. That's my business is built on people that buy stuff from my, that I post about the products I make. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I try and be active in these groups, but it's very frustrating when you see questions asked, like what you had asked in the S10 group and you know, you, you want to yeah. give info and it gets, it gets surrounded by all this misinformation and then even worse guessing because yeah. people and, help. Yep. And it's one of those things where a lot, a lot of people asking for help aren't going to, and I'm not trying to down anyone. It's like, it's a lot of people just aren't going to know what the good information is from the BS information. They're not going to know how to weed that out. And it, it takes a lot of people and just, they'll either take terrible information and run with it or they, don't know that like discourages them and they just either stop with what they're doing or you know whatever ends up happening yeah i've seen that a lot yeah it is and and again i go back to the fact that at its core whether they guess or they throw out something they heard from one of their buddies that is ultimately irrelevant in this situation but maybe it was relevant when they first heard it at its core they just want to help and i love that I love that these groups bring that out of people along with all the assholes. Right. But (laughs) yeah, um, Yeah. I like that it's core. They want to help. The difference is 
I think we need to get to a point and we're not going to, right? Cause the internet's only getting more and more crazy all the time, but yes. it, the best thing that would happen is for people. If you feel or know that you're guessing, then you're probably not being that helpful. Now, yep. that being said, maybe preface it by saying, Hey, this is what I think that would be the yeah. appropriate way to, to put that out there because you could spark a discussion and a debate, which are the very things that led me to the, miles of sometimes useless information that I have in my head at this point is because I talked mm-hmm. to other people about it. We, the, we did what's called bench racing. It's my favorite thing to do. Complete waste of time as far as women in our lives are concerned. But bench racing is the most fun you'll ever have standing in front of your toolbox with your buddies. Yep. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly understand that completely. Yeah. It's... But, um. We, you know, we, we all want to do our best we can, and all of us gearheads are ultimately approaching the same issues, especially when it comes to groups, because that's what Facebook groups do. They really whittle it down to a focus of the same people with the same problems, and yep. we can solve them together. I mean, it's out there. And the cool thing is suspension principles are universal. It doesn't matter what yes. you're building. If you're building a, uh, your dream 68 Pro Touring Camaro with an unlimited budget – or if you're doing a bolt-on boy special S10 in your backyard. Those yeah. concepts carry across. And I guess part of the other problem too is as I'm thinking about this when I'm talking is as because I think about it from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. We get afraid at times that if we share too much, we make ourselves obsolete. Yeah. And that may be part of where the lack of information exists. Or you give away your edge. Yeah. I mean, a lot and of like, you know, because information is a lot of people want just the information spoon fed to them where a lot of us, we worked our butts off to get this information. We've actually oh, yeah. put blood, sweat and tears into figuring this stuff out either by trial and error, which is another whole ball of wax. I could go down where people are too afraid to fail. It's like, it's better to fail at what you're doing and learn from it than not do it at all. So, and, and with that comes where you have a lot of investment in that either because time is money and you oh, yeah. can have a lot of time invested in that. And a lot of people don't want to share the little, you know, tips or tricks or secrets or whatever that they figured out along the way because it gives them an edge on the competition. So yes, I understand that completely. But with that, as you just said, we, there comes an information gap where you have, you know, top tier down, you know, say top tier motorsports all the way down to the very bottom. And there's a wide information gap currently in that area. Definitely when it comes to suspensions. Yeah. It does. And you know, the funniest thing you could do if you want to mess with some suspension designs, and I actually, I, I don't know how I found it. Uh, you, YouTube's algorithm is a wild beast. Let me tell you that. Uh, there was a guy that tested multiple suspension designs that he built out of Legos, Lego Technique specifically. Okay. A lot of people that are going to listen to this and around, they have kids, or even if they're mm-hmm. single, uh, they have played with Legos. And let me tell you, for 150 bucks, you can get a badass set of Lego suspension parts on Amazon. Just saying. I, I haven't really thought I about that. Anything about that, but um, <laughs> if you oh, want to play suspension concepts, if you just want to understand stuff at its core, Legos only work in a very straight line, so to speak, if you're using rigid pieces. Yep. If you want to learn in the real world some of these concepts on a very low budget, I would actually say 
go on Amazon, order up a full, you know, whatever, however many hundreds of pieces uh, Lego Technique suspension set and just play okay. with it if you want to visualize it. That's a cool way to do it because that's actually really good a good way of figuring that out because it it give you a nice small little um representation of what's going on in the real world and you can just scale that up exactly yeah and, and you know because there's i mean i've played with a couple of the suspension geometry softwares um yes they're all kind of rudimentary feel like i feel like i'm going back to 90s windows with how they function yes <laughs> and yes there's not a lot good to it now we in what i've been doing we've used um solidworks in its simulations to okay. articulate stuff and like that's one of the ways we're dialing out some initial bump steer with some changes i made on my upcoming kits for the f-150s um so there's ways to leverage it but okay it's tough i mean a lot of it's still done on pen and paper so to speak you know you're you're still having to work it out and then you don't really mm-hmm. know and you get it into the freaking real, real world and, and you test it. And that's kind of actually my saving grace of like me not building my suspension up front as a kit is it eliminated that that rush to market that we see too often. Yes. Why some of you yep. listening to this have probably had the scenarios that I had hundreds of times when I've built stuff over the years where you order a part and it's supposed to be a straight bolt on. It doesn't fit at all. Yep, and you got to modify the crap out of it or the vehicle to make everything fit and work the way it's supposed to. Right, because they're just hustling the market. Whereas me, I went to it, went into it with like, I'm just going to make this work optimally for me. And so I've been able to pour in two years of testing now and even broke stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually need to make a little video I'm going to share on Instagram about uh, I finally had a piece fail on my suspension. I finally pushed it far enough back in December. Um, okay. And, and some of that you just you're not going to know in, until you you do it. Yeah. And there's something to be said for the companies that actually get out and test their parts. Um, and, mm-hmm. and attention to the ones that don't that are just selling you something that there's something to that. And the other mm-hmm. thing that goes back to that, and, and this is something that I've really been taking to heart lately. Why would you want to spend your money with a company, even if they make a good product? And I'm not saying you shouldn't spend money with them, but think about the companies that while they may make a good product and they'll sell it to you and that's all fine and well, what about the companies that can do the same thing, but they also go to events, whether they're testing or just supporting their racers. And of those two companies, which one do you want to give your money to? Because which one is doing more to perpetuate our hobby, to keep it going? Yep. Cause the Karens of the world are rapidly trying to kill it. Yeah. I had to throw it in there. Come on. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, it's wholeheartedly true. And it's one of those things where that company that's actually going to events could also be collecting, you know, say for instance, they've got a kit out, they've, they have tested on their own shop vehicles, they run them, they, they put time into them, they market them. They could also be getting uh, research and uh, pretty much t- testing feedback for possibly a new kit or a new design, or you know, if they're f- figuring out, hey, it's the, you know, this guy's you know tweaked it a little bit and it's working better, or so on and so forth. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. It's, it's an active, yeah, it's an active like 
actively being in the market, not only just selling your product to make a buck, but also looking for the next step, making all your stuff better. Also being able to uh, work with your customers if they have any uh, tech support questions or anything of the sort, where you can work with them and get them situated to where they can have the same results as you did when you tested out the kit on like a shop vehicle. Right. Correct? Yeah. I'm a perfect example of that. And, yeah. and I don't know anybody other than Jason Wilcox and he's just an employee, but look at TCI in the NMCA West series and, and a number of other things they do. Okay. Somebody is there from TCI either racing or at least working and supporting the people that are there. Think whatever you want about TCI's products. Again, mm-hmm. I don't have direct personal experience with them, but I have to say that every time I go out to a Racing Birds event, there's somebody from TCI there. And they're always friendly, yeah. whether it's Jason or anybody, and 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 they'll talk to you. They're, you know, they're not going to send an engineer. That's an expensive person to have there on a Saturday. Like, don't expect that. Don't be realistic. Yes. But just the fact that the company's willing to put somebody there, whether they're racing or not, mm-hmm. speaks volumes to me about that organization. You know, you think about back in the day, when Brett Vocal, who is a friend of mine, and so is his son Andy, when they were going to events with Ride Tech, and and they okay. Brett was smart, but he also was part of the community, and, and I think that was an, one of many things that contributed to that organization's success. But it's also one of the things that I kind of hold against Fox now and their ownership and management of Ride Tech is they've totally removed themselves from actively participating in any of that you know, on-road motorsport stuff. And yeah. while I push a lot of ride tech coilovers to people because I, I mean, it's a monotube and it's affordable and it's a pretty damn good product. I've had a lot of success with it. It does make me start to question, like, mm-hmm. do I want to in the long term keep supporting them, not supporting, not just me, but everybody that I'm pushing it to. Like if they're yeah. not going to help me with the hobby forward, well, let me find somebody else who is. And you know what? I'm not going to say who mm-hmm. it is yet, but I have a coilover partnership that is, and That's that won't awesome. be coming up. Unfortunately, it's a little bit more premium, so it's not going to be affordable to everybody. But it'll be an option in my kits because I. So back when I was in corporate sales, I had a a executive vice president Corey Frank who said this to me. Uh, he said, "All boats rise with the tide," and what he meant by yep. you know everybody pulls their weight on the team and everybody does well together. And it's the same thing in this industry and this hobby, this sport. Use whatever description you want. It's the same thing. If we all work mm-hmm. together in our own way, if the companies show up and build the products that we want, we'll spend our money with them and all boats will rise with the tide. And I want that, you know, exactly. for me specifically, I want that to be a staple of my business. I never want to stop being a part of the groups, the people, the organization and events that are helping me live my dream. Cause that's all they want. People are mm-hmm. not unrealistic in their expectations. But, you know, be yeah. a part of what yeah. makes that. And and I think, unfortunately, all too often these companies forget that. And, you know, you could blame it on coronavirus. You can blame it on anything you want. If you ask me, it's a bunch of bullshit excuses to get out of it. Yep. Yeah. So, And, again, just as, as you've already said, being in in the industry, being a part of it, it's it's a big thing. It's, it's not just for um customers you know customer satisfaction or customer interaction but it's also you could use it for the business as well getting more information about what's going on 
what people are doing, you know, in the race racing events you're going to or whatever else, getting more information to use it, not just for your business, but help push the whole industry forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a win, win, win for everybody. There's literally no drawback. And like, as I'm saying this, I also want to be clear, like, I don't I'm not unrealistic enough to expect every company to be at every event. That's stupid. But it's very obvious that there's a lot of them sitting back collecting checks and and, and yep. running credit cards for you guys that you're out there busting your asses hard to spend this yep. little bit of money. And it feels lost on them because they literally never show up. My favorite thing about AFR is not, yeah, I don't run into them at every event, but I run into them at least mm-hmm. a couple times. Uh, we'll call it a season, but really a year. Cause I live in Arizona. We race all year. Um, yeah, they don't, you know, they don't come to the local events, but like when I'm at LS fest, I run into Tim and, or his people on their marketing team there with AFR or, um, other stuff. And, and so like, I feel really good when I have an AFR product and, and as a result too, luckily mm-hmm. for me through the hard work I've done, I have a project that they partially sponsored a set of heads for. And Hey, that's even more nice. Cool. Now. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. They're way better heads than I thought I was going to have on this project. So I, I mean, shout out to Tim and my terrible awesome. dude that build has been held up by so many different delays. And so I haven't held up my end of the bargain on, on repping them. And I feel horrible, but I'll make up for it in the long term. And I think people are going to be like, Holy shit, you have AFR heads on that. <laughs> so, so is um, the build, is the build public at all? Or are you uh, keeping it under wraps? Somewhat. I've talked about it. Nobody knows officially. Cause I just haven't okay. gotten into it since it's been stagnant. But so just about a year ago now, we bought a a poorly painted and really badly God, I don't even want to call it modified because it's I mean, it's a stock drivetrain. All he did was do a muffler delete and a terrible paint job and then these new seat covers. But it's a two thousand six uh base model solstice, Pontiac Solstice. Okay. But AFR doesn't make okay. heads. So four cylinder rear wheel drive. Yes. Okay. But you know, AFR only makes heads for V eights. But to my knowledge. V eights. Yeah, no. I'm I'm putting I'm putting it together. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing. I'll call it what it is because I've been accused of this and it's 100% accurate and I'm not hiding anything. When I saw Adam LZ, how easy it was for him to swap the LS3 into his mom's 08 Solstice, I was like, holy shit, is this really that easy? I ran the numbers, I looked up the parts, and I'm like, okay, it's not quite as cheap as I thought, but like, this is totally doable. And so I've been joking, calling it the poor man's Corvette. It's about a 10% scaled down C5 underneath. It's seriously, it's cast aluminum, upper and lower okay. control on all four corners, all standard SLA geometry. It has a bolt-on hub onto a cast aluminum knuckle. It's actually really cool underneath. It's very nimble. It's okay. actually really nice chassis. Um, but they actually were designing, they designed them around having an LS in them. Unfortunately, Pontiac went belly up. So when I can yeah. finally do that project it will be on my channel i have posted the car a couple times before um because okay. we've been in it actually it, it's it's horribly slow it makes no torque and it's laughably loud and obnoxious because of this craptastic exhaust chop special that the kid had done but um it'll be a fun build because it's a quick build and, and it is actually mm-hmm. something anybody can do i bought a junkyard l33 aluminum 53 yep, i took it yep, apart okay. had 
the lifter bore repaired because it was a core motor because a, a DOD lifter failure, very common in the LSs. Yes. Uh, yep. I have a local machine shop that has the only machine in the state that can do it. And so they did it for a very reasonable price. Um, and nice. then I went and through tick performance, um, they helped me get a number of parts. I, I did want to build it up a little bit through one of my um, commercial accounts. I was able to get a smoke and deal on some forged H beam rods and higher compression pistons. So it's a little, okay. it's a little wound up. It should be, if I had to guess with the heads, the AFR um, provided and the cam and stuff like that, that we're doing, it'll probably be around 480 horsepower at the crank, which is pretty optimistic on which an is aluminum respectable motor. for a five, three. Yeah. But you have yep. to remember it's going in a car that after the LS swap will still be in the 2,800 pound range. High 2,800s. That's going to be awesome. It's ridiculous. And it's like a 96 inch <laughs> wheel. So it, it's just going to rotate on an autocross. <laughs> painfully easy um that's gonna be awesome yeah there it's it's a really neat project and the whole idea is it's it's a seat time car it's using a common platform that's easy to get parts and repair um easy to work on um we're Mm -hmm. you know it's actually a really simple chassis even though it has abs and stuff there's really not much to it my car was before they even offered traction control thankfully because screw traction control i like my right foot doing it (laughs) but i'm a gearhead right so i should Um, yep but i hear you there they're really simple cars and the kind of the biggest merit to it is that there's so many different transmissions you can put behind it including the stock ar5 and the swap kit for it it was like 500 bucks for all the parts minus the clutch and flywheel and um that's awesome i really i hope mcleod uh clutches one of these days comes on board as an official sponsor for the things I do in any way, shape okay. or form. Because I use their clutch and flywheel setups among a number of other parts in every one of my manual vehicles that I own. And at this okay. point it's three of them and I love them and I use them and that's awesome. what's going in this. And they're not the cheapest, but Oh my God, in my F one fifty, you get what you eight- pay for. I mean, huh? I said you get what you pay for, so obviously you're paying for a quality product. Oh, yeah, 100%. They're a U.S. company. Um, now they've yep. acquired Silver Sport Transmissions, um, and so they're actually a huge Tremec Elite dealer, so you can buy your transmission, all the supporting components, and the clutch and flywheel straight from them in a full kit. Um, okay. And, and I've been super happy. Like The funny thing is, and people don't believe me, so I'll show them. In my 95 F-150 with a stock pedal assembly and a stock master, I'm running their mm-hmm. RST 800 horsepower twin disc clutch and their lightweight aluminum flywheel with a hydraulic throwout. I mean, I yeah, those yep. came with hydraulics, and I don't like mechanical linkage because it's it's 2022. Jesus, we can use hydraulics reliably. <laughs> yes, but yep. um, I can push the clutch to the floor without straining by hand. Like I literally can just reach in there and push it to the floor. That's awesome. It's ridiculous. Like modern hot rodding technology is the tits. It is. It is. <laughs> and and like what we were going to talk about, which we're we're probably gonna have to cut short a little bit, but the like a lot of people and and you found this with your business. Like you and I have been messing with CAD well, you definitely have been doing it, but CAD design, using CAD design to design hot rod pieces or, you know, parts for your vehicle or whatever, where you can design the part in three D space 
um, to check its fitment, check it for interference, check it for anything else you're going to run into, check its geometry, its installed, you know, installed heights and everything before you make a single thing in the real world. Now, yeah, you need to double check it versus what you make, like, you know, real world parts versus what you have in CAD design. But, like, imagine having that technology back in the 80s and how far we'd be along now. Oh, dude, it's insane. Like, here's what I'll, 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 I'll make a recommendation. I've been spinning, I, I was provided a very unique opportunity in that Fusion gave me the best of everything they have for 12 months to evaluate for my business under a very special program called okay. uh, the, the Fusion Startup Program. And I yes. applied for it for my business and somehow got approved when I didn't think I would. But in using it, so they have free versions you can try. And the biggest thing yep. I needed for was actually CNC machining, which, I mean, you've got to put even physical parts that you make in CAD if you're going to CNC machine them. You can't get around that. Yep. Well, really through CAM. But the point is they have to be built in a digital space to do it. There's merits yes. to both, like you said. So there is no replacement for doing things in the real world. But if you want to learn a program, Google SketchUp, I, I think, is still free, at least one of the versions of it. And if you want to get a little bit more advanced and you're not trying to spit out any codes or anything like that, you want to play with a little better software, go try Fusion 360. And and I, it's going to be confusing as hell. You're going to make a mess. Guess what? Yep. You don't have to save the document. It's okay to start over. You learn a lot. Like, seriously. And exactly. But they have a lot of community support. It was developed as an open source software. So the YouTube mm -hmm. video, NYC and C, they have phenomenal videos they used to do in this series called Fusion Friday. Still very relevant even to current versions of the software. Um, and then I also, huh, somehow, um, SolidWorks gave me their full suite, their best of suite, under their SolidWorks entrepreneurship program for a year. So okay. I'm actually to be able to evaluate them side by side. Nice. And I'll put it like this. Um, SolidWorks is not reasonably affordable for your home hobbyist. So you can just throw oh, that yeah. out. You know, unless you make a lot of money and you want to invest that into it. Okay, cool. Then there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. Um, SolidWorks is very expensive, and so that's one of the reasons I'm evaluating a $600 software next to a three dollars to $6,000 software. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't even include the CAM package that I would need mm -hmm. for me to continue using it for my CNC machine. Point is, um, SolidWorks is extremely powerful, and there's things it can do that, I mean, it shows where it has a value over something like Fusion. But you don't need the best of the best software to do some pretty phenomenal stuff, especially for 3D printing. Holy crap, 3D exactly. Taking off in the car modding world. Look at you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so for those that are not seeing what I just brought up, uh, I use Fusion 360. I've used Fusion 360 since uh, 2017 or so. Yeah. And you can, my this is actually a suspension pickup point for my S10. So you can uh, 3D scan, which I'm actually working on upgrading my 3D scanning equipment, but you can 3D scan, say, your frame or whatever, and then go into Fusion 360, work off the mesh, design a suspension pickup point or whatever, and yeah. 3D print the part and check it versus your frame or whatever else to make sure the scan was good, your design is good, and everything like that, before you even make it in metal. Oh, yeah. no, Which is and, insane. And another thing to talk about, like 3D scanning... We're seeing that more and more, and I think it's exciting people. And there's versions of it you can do at home with um, modest accuracy, I think is probably yeah. the appropriate way to say I would it. say that is 100% accurate. Um, Your stating is accurate. The, the scanning is moderate. I mean, I like my setup, which is probably the cheapest thing you can get into, 
Um, it it's it's at, yeah the connect the 360 connect it's still it doesn't hold a candle to the better ones for sure you even get into the five to six hundred dollar range and you're going to your accuracy is going to triple fold over what i have of my connect oh, but yeah. and you got to keep that in mind whenever you're designing that's again that's why i have three 3d printers i use for my business so you can print the part out and see was the scan a mile off or were you close enough to where you can actually make it work and just tweak the design a little and that's, and that's what a lot of people need to understand is like yeah my a lot of my following we're we're budget-minded so yeah they're like when i posted about that 3d scanning with the connect everyone went nuts but something right. you got to remember, there's a there's a pretty good tolerance to that. So you got to be mindful of it whenever you're designing parts for the real world application. And if you are made of money, you can get the really good laser based scanners, and they're darn near perfect for what, you know designing parts off of. But oh, yeah, you've said you're I'm... starting to get into more 3D scanning. Yeah, and we are because the biggest thing is it it, it allows us to catch certain things. Um that we, we actually couldn't catch even in the physical world. Like you just can't see with your physical eye. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we figured out that we had um, what's called, I, I, I think it's called a diverging plane, which basically means it's the top okay. and the bottom of the frame are not parallel. It's off, but we couldn't okay. even see it using a tape measure until we put it in the 3d scan and then import it into the SolidWorks. And we're like, Oh crap, this is 1.5 degrees difference. Now, to the average person, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that includes me. When I built my original suspension prototype that I run now in my backyard, I didn't see that. And it didn't matter. But now that I have to make mm -hmm. it to where Oshmo can bolt it in in his garage in a weekend, it matters a lot. Now it matters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that yeah. being like, I don't know that a Connect would really have caught that with enough accuracy. The difference for me is I'm spending dollars and I hire a guy, Patrick yep. Sucrawl, runs Sucrawl Design Co., um, he's got a great history in doing this stuff. And I love working with a guy cause he himself is an enthusiast. Again, that goes back to, if I'm going to spend my money with people in the industry, I want somebody that is really involved and he is, and yes. he's a small business. So I relate to him. He's local, but he's got, I think it's mm -hmm. like a $35,000 Artec uh, 3d scanner rig. Yeah. Um, and the accuracy, I want to say when I looked up the specs, it can go down to like a 10th of a millimeter, which is more than accurate yes. enough, for which is needed. insane. Yeah. And there's better, but the cool thing that I like about his is like some people have seen 3D scanning for video games and stuff with all the stupid dots you put around. With his, we mm -hmm. don't need to do that as long as what you're scanning contrasts the background so the laser can find it. Um, yep. It'll find it without all the stupid dots. And so that's, we're using that technology first and foremost on my front and rear suspension kits for the F 150s. Um, I actually mm -hmm. am working with another company to do a private label deal where I'm going to manufacture for them uh, control arm solutions for newer F 150s, as in 2011 and up. And okay. they won't be sold under the Innova Speed brand. Honestly, that's one of my dreams for my business. I want to make parts for other companies and people. Um, and that's mm -hmm. also another advantage of CAD now, is I can do that stuff for people that aren't even in the same freaking country. Like they don't have yep. to be here in town. I can, I actually have a company funny enough. I was texting him right before this started. I'm making his control arms for him. And he's in California. Okay. And so I'm able awesome. to do all this digitally. And yeah, and I'm giving him proofs via CAD. Um, we're actually, I'm having bushings manufactured specifically for the solution because 
the one company he was using is taking six to eight months to supply them. I can get them in 10 days through a U.S. manufacturer, and then I can do all the rest of his solutions. So now his customers are going to get a product, (laughs) not just time efficiently at all. He has had like three sets a year, and he wants 20 sets about a month. So we're going to do that. So that's one of my dreams for my business is I want to supply other companies and individuals. And honestly, through my love of doing this stuff, as well as the enablement of the digital space and CAD and CAM, and then all the different methods we have of shipping things now, it's opened up mm-hmm. a ton of doors for me to do this. And it's the same thing for an individual. You don't have to do it as a business. You have options. What that means is as a consumer, you now have a lot of options. Yeah. Yes, and it's, it's crazy how much the whole industry has moved and all the things we can do now, even remotely, that we couldn't do 20, 30 years ago. It's absolutely insane. I mean, a lot, like, oh, yeah. You talk to a lot of people, they're like, you're using CAD design and you know 3D scans or whatever. Like, yeah, because we have the technology now to do it. Why wouldn't you utilize it to make your products better? And which is going to make all of your competition step up and bring up their game. And as you were just talking about where, you know, the, you know, with the tide rise, all the boats rise with it. I, I'm sure I probably messed that up, but you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. We're bringing, we're bringing everyone up. It's like, and it's not just, you know, it's not just competition, but it's being out there and doing things and figuring things out and putting you know, ideas to ideas to metal and getting it worked and then tested and, so on and so forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, it all matters. And it's cool, though, that it comes to a consumer level because, A, it lets someone like me that thought that it was only a ridiculous dream to ever do this for a full-time living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's brought that to be within my grasp without – I mean, I've invested a lot of money in this by buying a CNC machine and stuff. But just from a consumer standpoint, like it's opened a lot of doors for me there because I still had my friends that knew Fusion before I had any knowledge. I would go over there and I'm like, hey, can we try and design this part just to see if it can exist? Yep. Um, you know, the cool thing now is like I posted last week that I was going to make um, these wheel spacers that don't exist in North America for my Solstice because mm-hmm. I got a crazy deal on some forged wheels but they're not quite the right offset. So I need some spacers you you can't buy um, unless you get them from Europe. And I don't feel like waiting two months for something I can make in-house. Well, this guy sees it and he goes, well, I don't need them that thick. Can you make some for me? And he lives, I think, somewhere around Michigan. Uh, okay. I'm not sure. The point is, I, yeah, okay, I can solve your problem because I'm already doing it in a digital space. I can quickly make a change, spit it out to my CNC yep. machine, and he'll have his, I'm going to go pick up the material tomorrow. And he'll have his product in a couple of days. I'm going to mail it to him. And it's very inexpensive to mail it. I was able to give him a same-day quote. And there's websites and shit that will do that now, but they take huge fees. Like, if yep. I'm going to do this, stuff, I honestly would rather people come straight to me. But the cool thing, too, is, like, this also opens the door where it's like, oh, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that, like, my dad used to they'll, – they'll tell you. My dad didn't, but just speaking as an example – Oh, my dad used to work in aerospace machining, and now he has a Haas mini mill in his garage. But, you know, mm-hmm. you may live on the opposite side of the country. Well, guess what? If you can design that part and email it to your dad, he can make it for you and mail it right back. How cool is that? Yep. You can still build cars with your awesome. parents through the digital yep. space across the world. Like, that's yep. wild, bro. It and is. Like, that is cool. But then, you know, going back to, for me as a business, 
now it enables me to open up my market to other enthusiasts that believe in what I'm doing with U.S. manufacturing, with the obsession I have personally with exemplary quality. Actually, to a fault at points, mm-hmm. because I don't, I can't, <laughs> not just don't, I can't charge enough for the amount of time I put into making stuff perfect. Um, I hear you. I know. They get, and they get something made in America. Like I go 45 minutes away here in Phoenix, the opposite side of town, and I buy my material locally. These bushings I'm having mm-hmm. made for this company um, are being made by a company that does this 100% in America, which is why we don't have to wait six months for a company like Energy Suspension to import from China. There's yep. no BS. And it's cool because this is also going to be how we bring, you know, everybody wants made in America, but they want at made in China prices. Then the yeah. only way to do this is keep pushing these digital softwares to a point where they are user friendly. And if you don't want to pay that higher price for the engineering, then you need to be able to design it yourself and send it to someone like me yep. to cut it. I don't think we're there yeah, exactly. yet. That factor's not there. These, these programs but we're definitely aren't. getting closer. It's there. It's within reach. Like I think within another decade, that isn't we'll out there. of the realm of a reasonable conversation for a true gearhead, somebody that has some understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. That's so exciting. It is. It, it literally the it's as a lot of people have said, what a time to be alive, just because of all the advances, all the advances we've had in the industry. <laughs> so. Yeah. But it's it's having less reliances on other people, too, is something I'm finding has a lot of value. Like, you yes, I'm not being unreasonable about that. But, you know, and I'm not going to name names. I don't have any ill will towards people. But I've had where when I started my business as an official business, uh, it was a year ago, this January 18th. It was like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. That marked one year that I've been doing this full time. When I started off, I couldn't do any of my own programming and setups. I had a dear friend of mine helping me and. I'll never be able to thank him enough for all that. Um, and then I had I had a local kid that said he could do CAD, and he had a version of uh, SolidWorks that he had learned from in school. But you know, I've been let down along the way with the guy that was helping me do pro- programming getting coronavirus a couple times. You know, I don't want him around because I got people in my house that just cannot get it. I can't run that risk. Well, that puts mm-hmm. me weeks behind because I'm waiting on him to make my product when he doesn't even make anything. There's no gain for him other than helping his friend. So it's not fair yeah. to him for hold it against him either and then this other kid you know i'm relying on him and multiple times he lets me down um when i thought he could and i gave him lots of chances and and so you know that has a cost to me that's that's part of the reason it's taken me nine months longer than expected to get my stuff out and i'm so thankful for the 18 people that are on a wait list waiting for this um for sticking around this long or even half of them if they do you know it's it's Mm -hmm. crazy that it, you can actually alleviate a lot of dependence on people if you can learn to do some of this stuff that seems and just do it yourself yeah yep and, and, and don't get me wrong i and i understand like i completely agree with what you said we can't do everything on our own but if well, you can take and do a majority on your on your own and that way you can you know quality control make sure the quality is exactly what you want to be perfect for your customers and you can also alleviate a lot of the times you're you're talking about rely on other people and just the quality of product it's just no not only just quality of product but knowing your product knowing your product literally in and out because you're the one that designed it made it and built it and are producing it for the customer so that way if the customer has any questions or anything you know everything in and out about the product you're selling Oh yeah. 
that that has a huge value to be able to answer questions that I get all the time about my stuff intelligently to people like that's probably the biggest single reason why these people are still hanging with me and believing in my product like I don't know I think if it was any other way they'd probably think oh this guy's blowing smoke up our ass and he's looking for snake oil to steal our money you know that happens yes a lot I, I know that um, exactly happens yeah, and it, and it is frustrating, and it's disappointing too because it, it creates that trust barrier that we all have now. Yep, or dealing with companies that just they again, like we talked about earlier in this episode, where they're releasing products that they've never used or never installed or you know never tested. They just designed it, made it, put it together, used it, and they have no idea how to answer you know tech questions or anything on the product they're selling. Where dealing yeah. with a small business like you and I that know the product inside and out, know all the issues they're going to run into that 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 has value to the end user because they're talking to someone that knows about their product and has a passion. And they can understand. Yeah. Cause we can't afford to make a screw up because that's exactly. the only reputation we got. We don't have some big corporation, you know, backing what we're doing to, well, oh, well, screw it. We screwed that guy, but it's all good. Our, our investors will be happy this quarter. Like we don't have that. We have to do it right. Yeah. But you know what though? Exactly. Again, we're talking about this. That's a perfect example. These big companies that are just pumping out products without testing them, what they're doing mm -hmm. is they're designing them in CAD, even with a 3D scan. And so when you get it and it doesn't quite fit right, that right there is the gap we still have between the computer screen and the real world. Yep. Shit's not always perfect, and you've got to make tweaks. You know, with the S10s, exactly. Yeah. Four yep. different brackets now. Every single one of them has been wrong, and I've had to scratch build it for that customer. And it sucks for yes. them because now they've spent money on it, okay? So they've spent their hard-earned mm -hmm. money on it once. And now I come back and I feel bad, which sucks because I shouldn't. My time has value too, yep. as well as materials and, and everything along with it. But then I feel bad going to them going, hey, I have to charge you more money for this project because I can't bolt it on for you. I can't make this work. I have to yeah. do – I have to fabricate this for you. And mm -hmm. that has to have a value. You know, I went and got exactly. more welds yesterday. There goes hundred bucks. Took five minutes in and out. Yep. Hundred bucks gone. That's just my hard cost. That doesn't include the three thousand dollar welder it's, it's attached to and the yep. twenty bucks in power it took during the project. You know, it's it's insane, dude. My CNC yep. machine is like fifteen dollars an hour to run, and I have not a huge one. Just to, to run it, to run it. That doesn't yep. include some of my small cutters. Are two hundred or consumables? I'm guessing. Oh that's yeah, that's just power. The cutters, like the cooling fluid that goes in it, is is a hundred bucks per bucket. And then each mm -hmm. cutter, like some of my quarter inch diameter, go grab a quarter inch drill out of your toolbox, people, and look at that size. And it's only two inches long. And that one cutter will cost me over two hundred dollars at times, just for that one cut on the machine. And at any time, I've got like 13 tools fully loaded in my machine. Mind you, that's just the cutter, not even the special holder that holds it that is on average $100 as well. So now yep. this thing I'm grabbing and loading into my 13,000-pound <laughs> CNC machine that I'm very fortunate to have a shop that I can have one in, but I'm holding a three to $400 thing for one single function. And I'll need, on yep. average, let's see right here. On my CAD program I have open, I have one, two, three, four, uh, five, six tools 
for a wheel spacer, dude. Six yeah. different tools in holders loaded in the machine to make a wheel spacer. A wheel spacer. Yep. So the cost associated with this stuff is is still pretty crazy. Um, but it is. Again, that goes back to you know what? If you guys want to cut cost, you're going to save it on the engineering side. If you guys all go learn programs and you can spit it to me, I can proof it and load it in a machine. All right, I'll give yep. you a discount. <laughs> Otherwise, yep. you can keep paying me sixty dollars an hour to design this shit. <laughs> and yep. even not noob, I don't actually charge that much because I don't feel it's fair. I don't have enough skills. You know, if you go to somebody like a Patrick Sucraw that's got twenty years in the in the business, he's going to be fast. He's going to be accurate. and He's going to do a good job. And those people have worth every penny. Oh, oh my God, dude! The amount yep. that I've paid three D scanning, I'm not going to say that, but. He, he gives me very fair deals for what that is. And it's still to use his, like he had to spend $35,000 on that equipment. So exactly. Deserves to be compensated oh. for his expertise and time and effort in, in having that. Yeah, trust me. You're again, you're talking to an automotive technician that I, I very much value my position and in, in my work. And they're like, again, I, I'm not invested in that as much as you have invested in your own business, but like the same. people freak out when I tell them, well, there's a $70,000 toolbox and tools sitting there to do my job. And I have to keep maintenance you on must, all those tools and you must have everything like that. What? <laughs> you must use snap on tools. <laughs> there, okay. You know, the quality difference between cutters. Between what? Oh, cutters. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the same way of tools. I'm telling oh, you, you do it day in and day out. You'll you'll see the quality difference, bet- even between the major brands. Oh yeah. Um, is everything snap on in my box? No, because there's sometimes where other brands have a higher quality to them. But when your your livelihood and job depend on that tool functioning, I'm gonna get the the correct tools that are higher quality that I can use hard for my job to put out a better product at the end of the day. There that you makes go, sense. Right? You know what I mean? Here is perfect. When you can't afford for the tool to fail, you and your family to have a roof over your head, and the person yep. benefiting from the service on the other end from a safety perspective. That's what we're dealing with. From their, exactly. their life, staying alive, then yes, invest in that yep. tool. That's how you figure yep. out how much you should spend on a tool. If you can afford for the tool to fail in any of those ways, go to Harbor Freight. Exactly. You know, you can buy the cheap battery powered drill to drill a couple and, holes in your wooden railing. That's fine. Yep. Not, not when we're doing this. And it's, it's the same thing. Like what you're talking about with your machine, you're, you're, you're investing not only in the machine, but you're investing in the maintenance. You're investing in the cost of higher quality stuff because you're putting out a perfect product. And because of that, a lot of people, I definitely with coming back to made in America. You, a lot of folks have to understand that our quality standards are higher here. At least oh, for the, the good companies. You know what I mean? Yeah. The one's not, not out to rip anyone off. I mean, our, our quality standards are higher, a lot higher. And because of that, the, the machining and the tooling and everything we use to put out that higher quality product obviously costs more. And that's where a lot yeah. of your costs come in. So check this out. The, here's the funny thing. Actually, by the math, if you have a business that is doing enough volume with you, and, and they'll help mm-hmm. you. They'll help. And I mean this legit. If they'll help you financially invest in tooling up to meet their volume needs from a manufacturing standpoint, 
we can keep up with China. We can actually be competitive. It's insane, yes. dude. I've run the numbers. In fact, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Titans of CNC. From, like that dude's annoying as hell. But okay, we've done. Something I have no like, idea who you're talking about. I apologize. No, people will go YouTube this. Like I know how people. Like I'll look shit up when I'm listening to podcasts because I love podcasts. But um, there's a, a YouTube channel called Titans of CNC, and he had this uh, TV show for a while. The dude's super obnoxious, and I can't stand listening to him. But um, he's done a few times where he showed the problem with U.S. manufacturing is actually lazy old people that won't adapt to change. Yes. And some of you listening to this may be getting kind of grumpy at me right now. Yes. So it's a good time to go look in the mirror. And here's the thing. You you, you can go, yes. oh, you're young because I'm 31. Okay, whoop-de-doo. I don't care what your age is. We mm-hmm. have four machines that can do really amazing things. Why are you still using the same program that your programmer gave you in 2005 to run that part when you started? No, 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 no. Yep. Your machine can run faster. And here's the thing. Yeah. You can, mach- you can kick up the feet or the feet per second or inches per second or whatever. And that's why I invest out- in the cutters. It's because yep. they can cut faster, quieter, and more parts. So believe it or not, everybody's all up in arms about what's cheaper in China. Dude, it's not. Yeah. We have to do our part in America to A, invest in tooling people like me, but also the bigger companies that can do it at volume. You mm-hmm. have to be willing to invest in them tooling up so they can compete. Dude, it's there. Oh my God, it's so okay. there. And I get so tickled about it because I actually see CNC machining just in general becoming a bigger part of my business than making suspension parts. And that's okay. I want to do them both. I want to hire yeah. people, good people jobs that can do that. I want to, I want to do all those things because it's not unrealistic. It's not out of the mm-hmm. realm of expectation. Expectation, sorry. But we actually can compete with China. Okay, so you may have a part that's 50 cents in China and it's 60 cents here. Dude, that ten cents, you were it's gonna go made up in shipping Starbucks for your wife or your girlfriend. Yes, so that dime don't make it. It don't matter. Don't argue over that shit. You know, it's like the people that will drive five miles to save two cents a gallon Just on gas, but it costs where they five never miles. did to begin with. Yeah. Yep. So we got to reframe our perspective. But yeah, if we can, as manufacturers, I'll speak from that standpoint. If we can keep an open mind and adopt new technology when reasonable. And the consumers mm-hmm. are willing to work with us to keep pushing forward to those new horizons. Uh, it sounds crazy to say that, but we'll just use that. If we can all work together to do that, U.S. manufacturing, whether it be car stuff or otherwise, can totally compete at a much higher quality standard. It's crazy, dude. And I don't even mean paying people minimum wage. Like, um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I guess I will. Like I start people that work for me at $20 an hour. Okay. Totally livable. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put you in a mansion, but then again, oh, yeah. I don't live either. <laughs> so, but you know, at the same time, like I got no problems with raises and stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. the fun part is like, we can do living wages for reasonably priced parts without robbing people's wallets to try and make a buck. So yep, people that are complaining that, it is cheaper in China. It's only cheaper in China because we let it. Because we let them rip off the design up front. They steal it from us. Mm-hmm. And then we don't invest in keeping up with the speed that they do. The way they do yes. it, cheap labor and good enough programming. We can do mm-hmm. it with exemplary programming and really high-end labor because it evens yep. out. It doesn't make sense on paper when you just write the numbers down in column A. But when you mm-hmm. really start whittling it down, like the per part cost and stuff, Dude, yep. it's crazy. Like, the, um, 
one of the ways we can do it at a consumer level is everybody has seen, especially in the car community, group buys. Like Apex race parts, the, the wheels mm-hmm. I run. They do group buys all the time. And the reason they do that is because, yes, they're making money, but it lowers the cost to you because it lowers their cost and they're passing it on to the consumer. I'm looking at how can I do that for my parts. Unfortunately, I don't have enough market penetration to get that attention yet, but that's what it boils mm-hmm. down to is the more you make, the cheaper they can be per part. And yep. the way we make more parts here together is stop saving the $2 to buy it on Amazon through China. And also, yeah. like, you don't have to wait three months. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big part of it right now. And, you know, honestly, dude, like, not to get all political and stuff with this, because that's not what this podcast is about. But, like, look at, you know, China's using all the money we've pumped into them to now push forward and try and steal land from other peaceful countries that are actually beautiful places to be and visit we may mm-hmm. not get to go take them over and that's all money we've pumped to them along with the rest of the world but you know yes. you also take that money away from their wallets and you put it in people like me's wallets and what am i going to do i'm going to go buy products from other u.s companies that support us here in the u.s i'm going to put food on the table for my family and i'm going to pay employees here that are going to put that into uh, like my girlfriend, she wants to have rental properties. Well, you know, it's cool. Those guys I pay 20 plus dollars an hour to when they're working for me are going to pay rent to somebody like her. So it all stays within this American circle in your local community, which is really badass. Yep. So because that's the crazy thing, like nobody's inventing new money. I know that everybody jokes the government's printing money. It's all the same money. It's just who in whose hands. It's up to us as yes. consumers to determine whose hands it's in. So that's really cool to me. And again, that all goes back to like, the fact that we have consumer-grade CAD programs that you can afford yes. even on McDonald's salary uh, is mm-hmm. is a step in that direction. But we've all got to embrace it. Like exactly, and- we got to get everyone get everyone trained up and get used to using it. Yeah, yeah, and and but you know the other thing too is like um, the education system isn't really helping that either. They're they're there's Trust the hands on stuff is a thing of the past, you know, like, for example, the kid I hired with SolidWorks experience, I used the phrase, they taught him how to work in a box. And the second I asked him to define the box in space, he couldn't do it because he didn't yes. know how to work. Way. And, and, yes, I, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of those kids nowadays in my, in my profession. Trust me, I understand. Yeah, exactly. It, it all plays in. So it's, it's unfortunate. There's factors working against us, but we can totally change it and and again it starts with the fact that the things that we have at our fingertips like the fact that there is free apps on your phone that are semi-reasonable cad type apps that you could even just get familiar with working in that digital space with a component like do mm-hmm. that when it's at the airport instead of playing angry birds or i don't whatever people play exactly now, yeah i don't know i never have time for phone games anymore <laughs> <laughs> The point is, like, re reframe what you do with your time, and we can reframe how we spend money, how it cir- circulates, how our hobby um, yeah. unfolds, how fast we go on on affordable parts, um, all those things. It's it's really amazing. You know, look at. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Chris at, at uh, BS for Build YouTube channel. A lot of people watch him. Like, okay. I think he's a couple million subscribers now, and I've met him and talked to him personally. He's a friend of a friend, also. Um. And he's just a normal dude who started off like he taught himself some CAD stuff that they use on his YouTube channel. And he showed that for 3D printing. Like that is totally something you can afford. Okay, so you can't afford an $80,000 CNC machine, but I bought a $600 uh, 3D printer that actually is pretty good. 
and yes. you know, you, you and I probably use similar printers and then I can do it in, in, um, in this $600 fusion program. So mm-hmm. for 1200 bucks, it's not too much to save up. You can literally be designing and printing your own parts and you'll yes. use a, a $30 spool of filament. And, uh, uh, it's probably about, I think 50 to 60 cents an hour on average for the power for these, mach- these yes. little 3d printers. For yep. doing those, I mean, you can be making your own parts, and it's it's amazing, and it's okay to make mistakes because it is affordable. Yeah, like like if you screw up, just just change the design and hit print again, and let it go do its thing until it's done. Grab yeah, the part and try again. It's a concept. I had a CEO once tell me. He said, "Are you afraid of failure?" And I said, "Yeah, I really don't like it. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it. I've failed enough times in life, um, at a lot of things. There's a reason I'm a single guy in my 30s, <laughs> but." Um, you know, it's, I guess I'm not single anymore, but anyway, the point is to not get too derailed there. Um, he said, you know what you should do is fail faster. And that was yeah. like a weird statement to me. I was like, what? And, what? Yes. No. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I learned that really early going on and that or, or really early growing up. And I'm so glad I did because you talk to so many people that are afraid to fail. They're afraid to screw up. Going back to our car habit, our vehicle habit, they are right. afraid to take their project vehicle, do something to it, and have it fail. It's like, but you could learn. That's the whole point of it. It's like, you're not going to learn anything unless you go do it. And if if you don't fail, great. You learn from it. You're going to move forward. If you failed from it or, you know, something happened, you know, it didn't work the way you wanted to, say you changed suspension settings or whatever, and it didn't respond the way you wanted to. Okay, you learned. That was a failure. You learned not to do that and go the other direction. Or just yeah. fail. What? Yeah, it's true. And so what? Like, that's literally what you should say. Oh yeah. gosh! So you feel I, I clicks the wrong direction on my coilover. So what? Like you know what? Take a page out of Jocko you Willink. Learn from it. Go the other way. That... Yeah, uh, you know what, Jocko Willink? Oh, you screwed up. Good. Now you learned. Now you don't do that. Yeah. Like that's how exactly. I'm sitting doing this as a business. And that's the people following the Nova Speed YouTube channel watching this build. Like I just showed my largest suspension failure ever on last week's video and then how three days later in the video I published yesterday, I was already attacking the solution. I screwed up, but I knew how I screwed up and I went back to the drawing board and said, cool, I'm going to do even better. And I did, I did so damn good that it created something that somebody else wanted to buy. That is the ultimate compliment to me, but not everybody's looking at it as a business. And so you talk about 3d printing when I say failing there, you know what failure means in your 3d printer you wasted a dollar in filament because it's strong all over your counter. You throw it in the trash can, yep. go back into Kira's slicer. It's free, right? It doesn't cost you any money. Go back in your slicer and go, Oh my God, I forgot to turn on retraction. And you go use up oh. another dollar in filament. Like who and try cares? Again. And that's, we got again, that. that's going back to that. That's why I did stuff like this. Cause I, again, I like I do Twisted Builds LLC. It is my side business. It's it's pretty much what funds my my bad habit, of course. But anyway, the as we were saying, the CAD design, the three D printing, the even if you're using a cheaper 
scanning option. The whole 3D printing thing, you're able to print the part out and see, okay, you know, it's going to fit. Or, nope, I screwed that all six ways from Sunday. Let me redesign it and hit print again, print another one, and try over. Yeah. And, it, it, yeah, it, as we said, a lot of people, there's so many people in the world that are just afraid to fail. They, they are too scared. A lot of it probably is from the education system that we have in our country and whatever else. They're just afraid to mess up. They're, it's like you learn from your mistakes. You learn way more from your mistakes and just going out there and trying things than you do from just, just you know, not really doing anything with your life, I guess, is the best way of putting it. I'm not really PC when it comes to that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> No, I know. And I'm not either. And I have to be careful because now I represent myself online as a business. And uh, that's been a whole new dynamic to, to learn from because I grew up on a farm in Central Texas where like I was raised by a bunch of rednecks in the backwoods. Like, let me tell you what, that ain't PC nothing. But nothing. I mean, if I tallied up the amount of hours and the amount of times that I've made something in a CAD program and then just flat out deleted it hours later and the amount of times, you know, I built a suspension kit four times and it cost me an extra $5,000. Now, not everybody can spend that much. I'm not saying that. But yes. the point is I made those mistakes and I didn't let it get me down because every time I learned and I learned so much that now I can do it for other people's products and help them have a better product. And like, that's so cool. Yep. Again, like, even even like taking that it's like you were building up hours in cad yeah you may have screwed up the designs in the same way of me but the more you use something the more it becomes repetition the more it becomes repetition the better you get at it the better you get at it the better designs you can make and again you're just moving yourself forward yeah you might file fail a little who cares just try again that's the fun of it. Like, okay, so let's talk about this. You know, you you wrench for a living, and I did that for a little while, mm -hmm. and I, I I admire you because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do the repetitive same maintenance thing again. The customers it's are not actually repetitive anymore. Anyway, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. but talking, to, you know how I learned to stop stripping bolts by stripping like, a whole bunch of them and figuring out how not to do it. Yeah, you learn where that threshold is by stripping them and you go, oh, okay, so that's what it feels like when it strips. So I'm not going to yep. go that hard. Like, it's, you know, okay, so everybody makes jokes about the Jiffy Lube guys that make seven and a half bucks an hour stripping their oil drain plugs. You know why they strip those drain plugs? They ain't stripped enough of them yet. <laughs> and it's terrible. Like, I don't wish that on people, and I really wish they would learn before that point. But yes. the idea is the same, like, once you've screwed it up, you better know how to not to. And mm -hmm. I, I had a couple people tell me, use that against me online when talking about my suspensions. They're like, oh, well, you don't know what you're doing. But then the opposite of that is the guy that, that hits me up and he goes, dude, I see all the effort you went to to learn all the ways to not do it. Put me on a wait list for your product. It's a totally yep. different viewpoint between two people in the same hobby, the same interest. Like we, exactly. you would think we're all like-minded, but man, holy crap, what a difference. And and yeah. that's where it's at. Like the guy that screwed up the most and now does it right, that's your guy in yeah. anything. Because that's he's learned guy. from it. Girl, your guy, whatever. Like you, I don't want to get into that yep. whole debate. <laughs> you know, that's, that's who you want. Holy crap. Because they can tell you all the ways that it won't work. And that was like, exactly. it was cool when I got to connect because you were fighting all these battles. Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I was like, oh, well, here's all the things I learned that, that didn't make sense to me. And you're like, yeah, that. 
And so yeah. then you come together and, and, and as hobbyists, as motorsports enthusiasts, we get to come together that way. And, and now we're here. Like, dude, exactly. my life is wild. And I know you probably feel it too. Uh-huh. And through that, like, I have this family, this extended family in the car community specifically, because that's my main hobby. That's my main interest. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, for somebody that's like knitting, you have their knitting huddles or whatever the hell they do. I don't know. And that's their favorite friends, right? So it's the same principle. Yep. My car family is arguably at times, like 99% of the time, they're who I, I go to first when I have my highest highs and my lowest lows. And it's and it's all because I, I was hear trying you there. mistakes and I needed somebody to give me advice. That You know what? That's another thing, too. Don't be afraid to ask for advice. There's too many people yep. because they're used to the Facebook groups. You're an idiot. You can't do it. Um, somebody's going to come and, exactly. and reach out. And you know what sucks, though, is sometimes people reach out via private message and you never get to see that somebody did try and help them. And so, yeah. like, everybody just sees the negative. I hate that. But, you know, sometimes there's reason for private messages. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, like, you got to ask for help and, and it's okay if even with the help if you make a mistake. Because you know what's funny? The people that d- reached out to help me, even when I still made a mistake, I just went right back to them and told them what, you know, what I thought went wrong or showed them what went wrong. And even sometimes mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, you know what? I should have told you differently. Like, I do that a lot. People come to me and ask for help. And I give them advice. And sometimes they're like, dude, that didn't work at all. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot a step. <laughs> yep. I'm not perfect human. You know, it happens. N- none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But and we learn, again, from our mistakes. You learn from them and you move forward. Right. And and it's fun. I don't. To, to me, at this point, it's become fun. Because it keeps bringing very cool people in front of me. So, like, even if I wasn't doing this as a business, if I was still selling my soul to corporate sales and funding my um, insatiable race car habit that way, I'd still be hanging out with these people and having a great time screwing up and then occasionally going fast because I did it right. And that's so Mm -hmm. cool. And, you know, like, even people learn to appreciate that about you. Like my girlfriend, she is so not car savvy. Like she has a plug-in hybrid BMW that she got a smoking deal on. Actually, I'm really proud of her for that. But like, she is so not car savvy, (laughs) but she appreciates that. Like I get joy out of it because I'm happy. Like when I've been getting my ass kicked and then I figure it out, I get my victory Mm -hmm. and I'm in a great mood. And like, then she shares that with me. And it's the same thing with her. Like when she has a real estate deal, that it's a really shitty customer. Like people, come on, be nice to your realtors. Um, they're working their asses off right now. But like when she finally puts together yep. a good deal and she gets the right commission and they get the right deal because they got more money than they expected or whatever, like everybody gets their wins. And, and it's it's amazing how it crosses hobbies. And the car hobby, I think it's even more because we're all so competitive at the core. <laughs> like, yes, yes. You know, I'm going for go-karts with my buddy Andre on Saturday because he's moving to North Carolina as of Sunday. And I'm sad that I, I won't have one of my NASA racing friends around. Um, but I met him through YouTube. Funny enough, he had a YouTube channel and he still does. And okay. posted a little bit, but he fell out of love with social media in a lot of ways. And that's okay. I understand why, but he and I are going to do mm-hmm. go-karts because what better way to send a good friend of yours off to the other side of the country than to get mad at them and compete with them. <laughs> <laughs> there's some sick people but you know what it's so cool it's it's an addiction Uh, but yes but you know through that too like um the reason andy vocal and i are friends and i consider him a really good friend and and his girlfriend too like i wouldn't know his girlfriend if it wasn't for him dating her you know she's actually in the car community Mm -hmm. busting her ass to do cool stuff with her camaro and i think that's great but i know him because i followed his dad because i liked that his dad did cool stuff at ride tech 
how wild is it that now okay. Andy and I are like legitimate friends? Like we hang out. That's awesome. And we, he started his marketing business and to help other companies market better to people like you and I, not our freaking grandparents, like a lot of their mm-hmm. marketing strategies are. And, but it's so cool that I have those friends and like, you know, when I went to go on YouTube, I'm like, Andy, I need some advice, dude. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing this right. And so I could go to him. And you know, it's funny. Andy is like 10 years younger than me. No, not that oh, much. Wow. He's not 20. He's a lot younger than me. He's probably seven or eight years younger than me. That's the other thing too. Okay. Like we got to get this whole, like if younger, if somebody's younger than you, they don't have good information. Who cares what age Yeah, because that's are. wrong. Dude, my girlfriend's yeah. older than me. She's still hot. Like, who cares, you know? What's the difference? It's the same principle, though. Like, think about it. Just yep. think about it. <laughs> so. I agree. Um, yeah, I think some of these stereotypes, when we can get rid of them, like, we're, we're all going to learn some really cool stuff together. And, and that's, you know what? That's another reason in every single one of my social posts I do on my public-facing pages. I use this hashtag, mm-hmm. go build. Because I literally want people go. to do that. I, I missed that. Go what? It's hashtag go build it. Okay. That. Yes. I hope people run with that hashtag, especially as my pages continue to grow and there's a wider audience. I need to talk about it more because I want to see, I follow the hashtags like that, that I create and Mm -hmm. I want to see those hashtag follows pop up in my Instagram feed of people out in their backyard. Like, dude, I designed a suspension kit on an uneven concrete pad surrounded by gravel trying to TIG weld in the open air breeze during monsoon season in Arizona. <laughs> Your excuse doesn't mean shit to me. Yep. <laughs> like go build it. Seriously. All these people, I don't have yep. a garage. You know how many times I got in trouble at my apartment complexes for doing my own car maintenance. Cause I couldn't afford to pay somebody yes. like you to service my shit. Yep. Like, Oh my God. I had a a property manager scream at me. I had a a E36, a 1995 BMW three series coupe. And to me, Oh man, I was hot riding, you know, it had a cat back Mm -hmm. and it sounded, and then I put a stroker motor in it because I was an idiot to make an extra 20 horsepower. But like the point is I blew up a radiator and I had this property manager scream at me. There's water running down from your car. I'm like, cool. She's like, you need to get that fixed. And I'm like, you got to pay for it because I can't afford it, dude. I was making 10 bucks an hour. I had to pay my apartment lease, you know? I had two shitty roommates that didn't know shit. I had no help. And I fixed that crap myself. I went to, I walked my ass to AutoZone, bought the cheapest radiator I could get. It only lasted three months, but you know what? It got me through three months more of paint. <laughs> it got you Photo aluminum one. It served its purpose, you know? So, like, we yep. all started. Like, people look at my shop. Oh, God, dude. One of the things pissed me off are people that walk around and they go, must be nice. Yeah. Must be nice to have worked 80 hours a week for the past six years. Fuck you, guy. And that's exactly. where I'm at with it. That really irritates me. I wish we could get rid of yep. that saying all together because, like, we all started somewhere. So, seriously, guys, like, for those of you listening to oh. this, like, hear that. Yes. Yep. And, and a lot of people don't see all the stuff you had to do to get to that point. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? That was part of the reason the- I started. Instagram page. I wanted to share that I thought I was doing something cool. Not I wasn't I didn't set out to be unique or special. It ended up doing it and that's a cool byproduct and where <laughs> we, how we got here, but I started it just cuz I wanted to share it and and show it to other like-minded people. And I thought, "Hey, you know, yes. maybe as I do this a couple hundred people will follow me." 
like 32 or 3,300 people later, here we are. And I'm really bad at keeping up with my social posts, but um, that, you know, that's all cool. I just did it because I wanted to show people I was doing it and, and hope that it would. And like a lot of times, if you look at the few hundred people that I follow back on my public facing pages, the core of them is mm-hmm. either a companies that I want to support and like their posts to help show them to more people or B it's other enthusiasts. You know, that's how I met mm-hmm. TJ with his S10. And now he has me do the work he can afford for me to do on his truck. And that's been really fun to get involved in that chassis and with another enthusiast. And he yep. and I are really good friends now. Like he came to my birthday that I was very selective about who invited to. And, you know, we had a good mm-hmm. time with everybody. And then um, who else? Um, there's a few guys. Oh, uh, C10R. When that changed hands, that's how I got to know Scott, the current owner of that truck. He's actually a cool guy. He always scares the shit out of me every time he comes up in an event because I don't know he's there. And he comes up, he's like, hey, okay. and he does it from behind me. But he knows that. I told him. I was like, dude, you freak me out every time. Um, and that's how I found out about the Pro Touring Truck Shootout, which has been really fun that Arnie's been doing. I think he needs to make a few changes, but that's any new event. You know, that's a okay. feedback thing. Give them your honest feedback, and that's how they'll learn and do better. But, you know, I mm-hmm. met a bunch of people through that. That actually, through Pro Touring Truck Shootout and SEMA, following all that is how I met Preston uh, Folkstad of CWI and GC Cooling. Um, and they also do some really cool gun stuff. But that's how I became friends with him. And, like, he and I, I think he probably hates calling me at this point because I keep him on the phone for an hour every time now. And I think he only wants to talk for 10 minutes. But um, so he and I are friends. And so anyway, the point is it's led me to being in and around and talking to some amazing people that have been really helpful to me, even in my personal mm-hmm. goals. If I'm having a hard time with just something random. Like I called Preston one day. I'm like, dude, I don't feel like I can keep up with my everything in my personal life. Like, how are you helping your dad grow this business and taking on all these new initiatives? Like my, I didn't even bring up my business yep. at first. I just called him like, I don't understand how to keep up with shit personally. I feel overwhelmed and it was unreasonable. I did, but Oh my God. Well, because I met Preston through social media, like now we're friends and I could call him and he like yep. talked me through some ideas and it was so cool. And it just, man, the community Trust is me. so bad. I like everything you're saying just resonates with me. Cause that's literally like word for word about how like you, and you probably don't even know this. This was years ago. I still have it. Uh, I've met a lot of my friends, uh, through my Firebird. I have a 87 Pontiac Firebird I built for, built for drag racing. Again, that was right after I got married. Uh, we were newlyweds. I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, and I wanted a cheap thrills car. So I built that car, and I met so many good people. One of them is my best friend um, from that car, from that build. Um, and just the, the wow. whole community around our passion is is incredible i mean the people you meet the people you can interact with um the other you know builders the other people that actually they're they're not just you know hand around the car you know drink a beer or whatever and that's just that the people that are actually involved in building vehicles and um helping them out them helping you know you out me out whatever it it, the the industry it's just it's a great place to be in Oh, it's, it's so much fun, dude. I actually, like, I don't know. Some people probably hate me for saying this. I actually hate car shows. And, and it's because I, of the, like, it's, it's the TikTok culture around it now. The Bolton Boys. Yes. I, ah, dude, yes. I can't do it. I can't I'd much rather it. go to the race. 
I, yeah, I understand. Oh, like yeah. again, you're you're talking like okay. So you clean your car up. You go to the car show, and you just stand around it. Maybe you know talk whatever about a couple other cars, and then you go home. It's like I don't. That doesn't. You have cars there that are all look no go, don't run right. They could like you know the blower cars or whatever that have the V six radiator still in them that overheat the second you put any kind of power to them. The, yeah. I mean, trust me, you're preaching to the choir. I understand the whole sentiment there completely. I am, I am still like my my again going back to my Firebird. My Firebird was it looks like a pile of junk i bought the car for 900 dollars, and it was i didn't have a lot of money at the time i just wanted to have fun my goal my whole goal with that car was how cheap i could make that thing or how cheap i could do it to make that thing go fast enough to get kicked from my local drag strip for not having a roll cage in the car so <laughs> including <laughs> including purchase price of the vehicle, I was able to do it under four thousand dollars. The car went ten ninety seven a hundred and thirty mile an hour in the quarter Holy mile. Shit. Yeah. That's a it, death it, trap. It had bro. A fact, well yeah. It had a factory high stall converter in it that stalled at like nineteen hundred RPM and that was my problem. So my fix to that was hitting it with a hundred trough of nitrous off the line. But regardless <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> <solves> everything. <laughs> what I said, a little laughing gas solves everything. Yes, yes. Well, I, I again, you learn by failing. I, I was always like my first truck I ever owned was a '90 Chevy 1500 that I, I was 16 at the time when I got the truck. I it had like a four three in it, so I swapped it out with a V8 and I put twin turbos on it. Uh, I put turbochargers off of a. They're K26 turbos. I believe they're off of some kind of Porsche. Just, again, things I found in the junkyard. Slapped it all together. That was back when um, EFI was still way too expensive to get into. Um, right. So I did, I built, home built my own uh, blow-through carburetor and kind of did that. Had that yeah. for a first truck. And um, anyway, long story short, went to college, or tech school. And got out of tech school, got married, and had no money. So, but I had this car. I bought this car for I think I paid seven hundred dollars for the Firebird. And you would so yeah, buy a ton of paint for seven hundred bucks now for those. Oh my god, that's a steal. Yeah. The and the great thing was was it was a southern car. So like I live in central PA area. All right, the car was from southern Virginia. The car has one speck of rust on the driver's uh, fender, and that's it. The entire rest of the car is clean. And oh, totally because it was a seven hundred dollar, what? That's totally fixable. Yeah, I didn't fix it. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, I, I gutted the car out and just had a cheap thrills with it, put an 8.8 in it, uh, 4L ADE that I built myself for power, and then a, a 5.3 with twin uh, GT 3582s. Just, again, eBay specials, nothing, nothing special. The whole car was cheap thrills. And going back to what we were talking about, like building that car and talking to other people in the area that were also builders, and you, you, you get so many friends from doing that. And I've I've gotten more friends from the S10 build as well. And my one my best friend, uh, he's in the middle. We're, I don't know how things are over there. We're a little crazy over here. So <laughs> we got a C30 going together right now, dually. All right, with right. 
with a DT366 semi-truck engine, um, an Eaton 7-speed out of a semi, and we're putting it into the C30 square body pickup. So, I like yeah, that it, idea. It, it, it's, it, it took a lot of cutting to make things fit, but it fits. So, but again, like you, you, you got to push away and you've said this already, you got to push away the people that just don't know what they're talking about or they're naysayers or whatever. And the group of guys we can, you know, that I've personally built or you know, not built, but you know, I'm friends with now from the builds they're it's just awesome to be able to help each other out and, you know, reside with each other or whatever and go from there. Yeah, I mean, again, tangents are welcome, but yes. (laughs) In the car community, there's like, there's two ways for me to not want to engage with you ever. And that's either just being outright negative as hell about everything. Mm -hmm. And or it's somebody that like asks for advice and then doesn't fucking listen. That drives me insane. Why do you ask for advice if you're not willing to take it? Those two things right there. And they kind of play hand in hand because generally uh, negative people do that. But that's like the two ways to get me not involved. And and that's the only reason why the car show kind of kid culture, the TikTok culture surrounding it drives me nuts yes. and why I don't want to participate. It's because like their stance out. And if you're like, you know, if instead of stretching your tires, if you use the right tire, it actually ride better. Your tires will last mm-hmm. longer and you can more shows and afford it on your I work at Reebok outlet budget, buddy. Like, yep. they don't take feedback. And I get it. If your goal was to do that, good for you. Everybody has their own style. And I'm not here to talk shit about that. You know, I don't have anything against pretty cars. Like, you and I took some ugly ducklings and we made them go fast. And maybe one day we'll make them pretty, too. But, um, so I don't have any issues with that. The only reason mine aren't pretty is because I can't afford that shit. <laughs> Paint's expensive <laughs> and time-consuming. You know, one day yeah. I hope I can get there. Like, that's just part of it. So, like, I don't have any problems because it's pretty. I have a problem because... They're doing burnouts when the police are sitting there saying not to, and then you get our shit shut down. I yep. don't want to be there saying I was a part of that. Like, I yep. like my hobby, and you're just giving fuel to the fire for more regulations and reasons why they won't. Like, or, the fact and, that and people, again, Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, there's a, a popular TikTok going around of this lady. I, I don't know what agency she's with. Probably EPA. I hate them. But anyway... She's talking about, you know, car exhaust, don't do anything. They're just intimidating, right? And then everybody does these revving things to her. The only reason she's saying that is because these people that laugh, oh, I've got a loud car, and then come hauling ass into their neighborhood on the rev limiter. It's one thing to say it's loud, Mm -hmm. but I do my best to be understanding when I'm in my neighborhood. It's another thing to laugh about it and go, oh, people hate my car. Rum, rum, rum. Why you got to be a dick about it? And that's it's the same thing with the TikTok car culture. It gets some views, and so it pushes this whole idea of being an asshole. That's what it is. Yep. It's teaching people to be an asshole. Nobody likes an asshole, honestly. Yep. And, like, so that's my whole thing is, like, don't be a jerk. And then we'll get along mm-hmm. great in the car culture, regardless of what your goal is. You know, it's just, like, I personally, I hate bags. I don't want anything with bags. I don't want to ride in it. I don't like it. I won't design my stuff for it. There's people that love it and think it's the greatest thing ever. I'm friends with the, some of them. They just know they're not going to talk me into it. And I have my reasons, and it's not because I've never tried it. I have tried it. I haven't liked any of them. It doesn't do what I want it to do. So the point is, yep. we can all like different things and still get along. Exactly. Don't hate each other on it, and don't be a jerk about it. 
And if somebody mm-hmm. doesn't like anything you like at all, then quit trying to force your opinion on them. You know, I mean, that, that kind of goes back to a humanity and morality thing, which I realize is not why we're here. But again, I want yes. my car hobby to be around a long time. It's letting me do my dream job every day and hopefully one of these mm-hmm. days actually pay all my bills from it. <laughs> right. And and maybe one day I'll get yep. to finish my 16 year long dream BMW project that's sitting to the left of my shop and rotting away while I stare oh, at the no. engine I have for every day. Um and can't put in yet, right? So, like, I don't want that to go away, and it's going to go away if we keep giving people the fuel to make regulations against us. Yes. And I don't want yep. that. You know, that's, like, um, the whole thing that the EPA did where they cracked down on JH Diesel and and, and Brent at PFI Speed and them. Yep. Um, yeah. That was so disappointing. And, and the problem is, is because it had nothing to do with them and whatever gray area the EPA wanted to target, w- using them as an example. That's what it was. They were making an example mm-hmm. in a public yep. way. And that's why they went after the big influencers. I get that. But it was because all these dumbass TikTok car culture style kids, that's what we'll say. And it's adults mm-hmm. too, but I'm going to call them kids because they act childish. It was by them yep. flaunting all this shit to try and make a statement and rub it in people's faces that it got attention and they had to make an example. Or they chose to make an example. They didn't have to. But they did. They mm-hmm. made that decision. Dude, if we just stick to it and keep doing our community stuff, guess what? The people making the regulations against it aren't actually hobbyists because they're not going to yeah. actively kill their own favorite hobby. So guess what? Quit throwing it in their face and they won't pay attention to you. It's amazing how that works. I know. Stay in your lane, right? If you want a term that a car guy understands, stay in your lane. There's stay plenty of lane. other cars there with you, right? If you stay in your car yep. community lane, there's plenty of other enthusiasts with you. It's amazing how that works. So, but anyway, I don't, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to get all political on it. I'm just here to make cool sounds with a V8 and maybe burn up some tires so I can keep Falcon in business (laughs) for a little bit longer. You know, that's, that's what I'm here for. And the fact that I get to do it as a a day job at all for any length of time is the privilege of privileges. And that's also why, like, you know, if I can share some of this stuff, about how or what I'm learning in CAD within reason. And same thing with like suspension mm-hmm. geometry. That's kind of my go-to thing because it's what I'm specifically passionate about. It's why I build my own suspensions, but I don't build my own engines. And so through mm-hmm. that, if I help somebody else move forward, like that's why I want to do stuff like these these podcasts with you is like, okay, let's do that. But I, I need to stop doing it through private messages on Instagram and Facebook. Cause I'm not getting enough done during the day. And that's why I'm like, Hmm, maybe I need to make some videos about it so I can just send them a link. <laughs> Cause yep. I don't like typing. I'll that's do a good idea too. Typing. Yeah. So but, hopefully, hopefully it keeps uh, going. Hopefully people keep learning, but you know, that's, that's what we're here for. Yep. Hey man, it was nice having you on. This has been awesome. So, uh, Anyone, uh, where can we find you at? So I go under the name Anova Speed on all my paid pages, and it's all one word. If you put a space, it may not find it. So it's I-N-N-O-V-A-S-P-E-E-D. So it's just like it sounds. Um, that's my website. That's what Instagram and Facebook are under. I think TikTok can probably be found that way, but please don't follow me on TikTok because it's terrible. <laughs> that's how YouTube is I'm found. not even on TikTok, so... I'm probably the last human being not on TikTok, but I'm not on there. 
<laughs> it's okay. Save yourself. It's it's a total time suck. But anyway, um, that's how people can find me. And yeah, I, I mean, I'll do my best. If people have questions about stuff, I'll do my best. Honestly, the best thing people can do is actually send me suggestions in mass for like, if you know a group of people that are looking for similar types of information, I'm definitely here to help people try and learn like, like I've been lucky enough to have people show me. Um, but I need to do That's it awesome. at a bigger scale because if you guys want me to keep learning and growing and, and making cool stuff for y'all to buy, um, mm-hmm. and then for me to reinvest that money back into learning and making more cool stuff, uh, you're going to have to help me do it at a bigger scale than, than direct messages, but that's what I'm here for. So I'll do my best. Awesome. Um, definitely appreciate the opportunity to be on here and, and have this chat though. And thank you. And, uh, everyone listening, uh, in the show notes, I will put a link to, uh, your website and, um, I highly recommend anyone that is listening to this, uh, go to the homepage and watch the 47, I believe minute video on that truck build. That <laughs> truck is phenomenal, man. I have, I literally watched that entire way through and I had so many more questions about it. I'll probably have to get you on another time just to talk more about that build, but we are definitely running long, so I think we'll uh, call it good. And thank you so much for coming on, man. Of course. Yeah. No, I, I, I wish you the best with the podcast, everybody. Make sure you you uh, follow his podcast, subscribe. This is definitely awesome, and that's how the community grows. we got to pump everybody up, so make that happen. And then when you're done with that, then you go subscribe to the Innova Speed channels. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, Dale. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Bye.